Thank you, Peggy. That was, that was beautiful, and it is fitting that we sing something that Jesus might have sung, perhaps to a different tune, but we know that much of the Hebrew scripture was the text for much of the music that was sung, and so uh, I, I love that and appreciate it very much. Okay, I have a question for you. How many of you still have your Christmas decorations up? Well, how many of you already taken them down? A few, but most of you are like me, I think. We just can't quite have the same energy putting them away as we did the joy and excitement of putting them up in the first place. <clears throat> I, I just love the lights, the candles, the music, all the trappings that we have that surround Christmas. Uh, it just makes it so special, and I, I have to tell you a little secret that Keith has really spoiled me this year. Uh, most days he's up before I am. And uh, he's got the tree lights on, he's got the, the fire in the fireplace, and he's got the coffee made. And I just love that. I just wanted to just go on and on and on and not end. <clears throat> but it does go away, doesn't it? Um, we, we can't continue to live in the glow of the anticipation and, and the excitement of Christmas forever. Those cold, wintry days, like today, that follow they're, the light time is short, <clears throat> and it's going to be a while before we start to really notice that they begin to lengthen a little bit. And so this time of year, with its scarcity of light, uh, affects many of us enough that there's actually become a, a name for that uh, kind of sadness and depression that sometimes comes this time of year called a seasonal affective disorder or sad kind of an appropriate name and they tell us that you can sit under sun lamps and you can uh, eat you can take vitamin d3 and that may help but but it it's kind of a depressing thing and so this morning we're going to take a little peek into the world that jesus came into right right after he was born and what it was like the reality for him Mary and Joseph had safely seen through, uh, him through a difficult but he arrival with safety and health. And they soon learned that their plans were going to be changing. Um, they would soon find out what it was like to be an immigrant or an alien in a strange land. You remember what happens, uh, before we begin our text today, a little background, you remember what happened when the three... Uh, scholars or kings or wise guys or whatever you however you picture them who traveled from afar from other countries following that star just because they wanted to worship this one who had been prophesied they obviously had studied and heard enough to know that this was fulfillment of prophecy and they wanted to be there and um, so they followed him there and they got stopped by king herod who uh, pretended to be interested and, and knowing where this baby was so he could go worship him, but they could see through that, and if they couldn't, God sent an angel to warn them, don't go back and tell Herod where the baby is. And so that's where we pick up our text this morning. And so if you'd like to follow along, uh, you can follow on the screen or from your, um, your Bibles, but we're going to be looking at Matthew, the second chapter, starting in the 13th verse. <clears throat> After the scholars were gone, God's angel showed up again in Joseph's dream and commanded, 
Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Stay until further notice. Herod is on the hunt for this child, and he wants to kill him. So Joseph obeyed. He got up, he took the child and his mother under the cover of darkness, and they were out of town and well on their way by daylight. They lived in Egypt until Herod's death. This Egyptian exile fulfilled what Jose had preached, I called my son out of Egypt. And Herod, when he realized that the scholars had tricked him, he flew into a rage. He commanded the murder of every little boy, two years old and under, who lived in Bethlehem and its surrounding hills. He determined that age whoops, the page here. He determined that age from information that he'd gotten from the scholars. That's when Jeremiah's sermon was fulfilled. It said, A sound was heard in Ramah, weeping and much lament, Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel refusing all solace, her children gone, dead and buried. And later, when Herod died, God's angel appeared in a dream to to Joseph in Egypt and said, Up, take the child and his mother and return to Israel. All those out to murder the child are dead. So Joseph obeyed. He got up, took the child and his mother and re-entered Israel. When he heard, though, that Archelaus had succeeded his father, Herod, as king in Judea, he was afraid to go there. But then Joseph was directed in a dream to go to the hills of Galilee. And on arrival, he settled in the village of Nazareth. This move was a fulfillment of the prophetic words, he shall be called a Nazarene. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Carol Joy Wallace, uh, who writes and blogs uh, awfully helpful things, uh, she reminds us that Jesus didn't enter the world in a world full of sparkly Christmas cards uh, or a world of warm spiritual sentiment. When Jesus came, he came into a world of real pain, of serious dysfunction, a world of brokenness and political oppression. Herod represents the dark side of the good news. And it's kind of a stark reminder that we can't stay in that warm, fuzzy Advent world too long before we too have to face the starkness and the reality of life. Whatever those issues are that kind of yank us back into reality, it might be the, the, the bill that arrives with the credit card debt that you accumulated for Christmas gifts. It might be relationships that seemed even more difficult over the holidays. It might be beginnings or endings that were dreaded. And hopes that we had that are becoming dimmer and dimmer and increasingly unreachable. These are just a few of the things that we may be facing now. I can't quite remember how old I was when I first became aware of this dark story in the midst of the Christmas story. How Herod would throw this temper tantrum and have all these children murdered. I find out from some reading that between, he and his, uh, between him and his son, they had over 5,000 people crucified besides these little children that they had murdered. 
was a horrible, horrible thing. And, and it's, one, it's not something that we want to even think about. Why do we have to talk about it? Um, it's disturbing. But there's one thing about the Bible. It just doesn't gloss over things. It doesn't try to make them prettier and nicer than they really were. It doesn't cover up all the awful stuff that real life contains. Those dark days that followed Jesus' birth, we can't really ignore. Um, Despite what was going on, though, God took care of this sweet family. He protected them uh, because Jesus had a purpose that God wanted to be fulfilled yet. And so there were foreigners and strangers who kept the baby and their family alive and kept care of them. God's angels spoke to and were heard by people who were not of the chosen Jewish nation, perhaps even some who maybe worshipped other gods. But they were obedient to the instructions of God's angels. You know, sometimes people outside, uh, on the outside, on the margins, seem to get a special hearing from God. And sometimes they have a way of seeing things and hearing things that we overlook. Sometimes they see the possibilities in God's world and God's mission that we might miss. Difficult days and hard times often can lead to amazing things. Most of you maybe have heard Leonard Cohen's famous statement, uh, there, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And I, I really like that idea because despite the brokenness and the harsh reality of things, God may be trying to get through and shine, shine his light uh, on our world. And perhaps he uses someone who doesn't even follow Christ, but, that, but may be used, being used by God to work, to do his work. And I wonder what cracks in our, in our own souls God is trying to shine his light through even right now to wake us up, to get us moving, and and to transform us. Dark days and sleepless nights may be transforming us in ways that we could never have imagined. Now, I'm not saying that to minimize the pain that some of you may be going through right now, nor do I believe, and I want to make this very clear, I do not believe that God causes the, the hard things, the painful things, in order to draw us to him. But I do believe that God uses those things when they happen to us to make us all the better for having survived it and experienced it. Nature shows us that kind of a model over and over again. Uh, I think of a little butterfly that struggles so hard to get out of that cocoon. Uh, And without that struggle, developing the strength then, it would not be able to fly away and, and be beautiful and live. It had to go through that struggle first. Even the birth of a baby, the struggle that child goes through, leaving that warm, safe, cozy environment to come out into this harsh, real world is truly miraculous. Well, this last Sunday of a year seems a fitting time to linger a while thinking about endings and beginnings. As one who is just about to retire in a couple of days... It's something I've been pondering on for a few months. 
Um, as I realized a few years ago that retirement was right around the corner for me, I began paying more attention to people I knew who were retired and how they experienced retirement. And there's about five observations that I've made or conclusions that I've come to in those observations. <clears throat> the first one is that people who seem to, these are retirees that seem to complain and complain and criticize others the most, seems to be the least happy in their own life. Um, I suspect that retirement isn't quite what they thought it was going to be. And uh, maybe they're a little bit miserable, and, and it's easy to take that criticism out on, on other people. Number two, I've discovered that those who still have purpose and meaning in their life seem to have better health and a better outlook on life. I've observed that you can retire too early. Uh, and you soon find that having nothing to do isn't as much fun as it seemed like it would be. I've also observed that God's people can never really retire from ministry and serving. I can't find anywhere in the Bible that it gives us uh, permission to just sit back and become balcony people when we get to a certain age. Uh, we're in it for the long haul. And then finally, I've observed that those people who are lifelong learners, who still have a desire and a hunger to learn, to learn more, to, um, uh, to want to use their minds to think about more and new things, um, I find it almost impossible just to sit back and watch idly, uh, life idly go by. They, they have to participate, and they have, are compelled to. So as the, the pages of the new calendar flip over, as they're going to here in a couple of days, what changes are going to show up that we hadn't scheduled? Something to think about. What doors are we going to dare to open in the new calendar year? What discoveries are there just waiting for us to uncover them? I like this quote from the poet Louise Smith. She says, you can't reach for anything new if your hands are full of yesterday's junk. Let me say that again. You can't reach for anything new if your hands are full of yesterday's junk. Now, we just finished not too long ago, uh, for our, our guests' uh, information, we had, had our, uh, Pastor Doyle had a series on hoarding. And um, <clears throat> he gave us a lot to think about. Uh, considering all the possessions that we have, how unwilling we often are to pare down, to clean out, and to give it up so that we might live more simply and more dependently upon God. We had to search our hearts and try to be honest about how much we depend on our stuff and acquiring more stuff to make us feel good and valuable. But you know, we often carry a lot of junk in our head and our hearts. Stuff that can weigh us down and, and refocus our attention on, on old stuff when we really need to be moving forward. Old hurts and resentments, guilt over things that we've done or that we've left undone can eat away at us. Anger over perceived insults and injury. We just 
can't turn those things off sometimes. But you know, there's positive things we can do with that old junk. We can reflect on it. We can see what good we can take from it. What has it taught us about ourselves? What has it reminded us of, of who we are and what we need to do? And then we can just let it go. See, Mary and Joseph had their plans changed several times. They never planned for Mary to have an embarrassing and an inconvenient pregnancy. They never dreamed they would be in that awkward and scandalous situation. They never dreamed that they would be aliens and immigrants in a foreign land. But they placed their faith and hope in a God who was bigger than they were. And each time that God spoke to them through an angel, they paid attention and they made the changes that were, that were needed. Their obedience brought them to safety despite the dangerous circumstances because God's timing was perfect. It always is. And I suspect those wise men and shepherds who traveled to go see and worship the baby returned home and they were never quite the same again. Because once you meet Jesus and get to know Jesus, life is never the same again. Following Jesus won't make our lives any easier or more comfortable. In fact, the closer our walk with Jesus is, the more uncomfortable we will be with this world and its values, its ways of measuring success. The lenses through which we see the world will change over time as we grow and mature in our faith, and we'll begin to notice that the things that used to disturb us are fading away, and the things that disturb God the most are becoming those things that disturb us the most. The things that Jesus talked about again and again and modeled in the way that he lived. Jesus doesn't make our life any comfortable or any easier. He doesn't help me fit in or succeed. So as we grow in our faith, those old, simple, pat answers that we had, that we used to have for life's questions, are not quite so simple anymore. And we live in that tension of the in-between, not quite understanding things are not as black and white as we once thought they were. We find that we must learn to love ourselves well before we can follow the golden rule and love others as ourselves, loving them well too. Even when it means loving and forgiving people who have hurt us, who have mistreated us or disappointed us, that doesn't mean that we turn into wimpy doormats. It means that we gather up strength, the strength of our faith, and make a conscious choice that I am going to turn the cheek, the other cheek, not out of weakness, but out of strength. It will be a conscious choice, understanding that when I harbor hatred, and resentment towards another, it harms me more than it does that other person. And so we come through Christmas days of warmth and, and celebration to the stark reality of a new year filled with the unknown. Where is God now? Well, God is right here, available and ready to journey with us into the new year. If we listen closely and we pay attention, there are exciting possibilities ahead. 
We are more than a people saved to have an eternal life and just sit back and rest on our laurels until that time comes. We're just beginning our spirit-led journey, no matter what age you are. We're still listening for the still, small voice to be our guide, anticipating sharing that journey with others, pilgrims who are on this journey, because we all need each other. When our faith is weak, they will bolster us up, as we will do for them when their faith is weak. When we trip and fall, they will bolster us up, as, as, and they will help us get up, knowing that we will do the same for them. We will weep together, and we will celebrate together. Understanding God's Spirit is in the middle of it all with us. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me?